Brilliant. So we are joined for another interview for The Marshall View um, with Tom Barlow today. So hi, Tom. How are you doing today? You good? I am very well, Dan. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you. Yeah. How are you finding everything at the moment? Because obviously we're living kind of strange <laughs> times. The, uh, it is It is very, very interesting. I think right now I'm probably working harder than I was when I was teaching full time. Definitely. Um, I don't know if you know, but I've got a seven-month-old baby as well. Or oh, wow. So we're having to cram all of our work into, you know, like uh, like three nap hour windows, which is like right. nine till ten, and then twelve till one, and then three till four. It's, it's crazy, like trying to do everything that we're doing in that windows. It's mad. Uh, really mad, yeah, I bet definitely. Yeah, we'll definitely speak about some of the online stuff that you've been doing. I think it's important for people at the moment who have obviously had to to move everything over to an online format, and it's yeah. it's, it's treacherous times out there. I think at the moment for Man, it's really hard. martial artists. It's very, very difficult. You know, I'm quite fortunate. That I've been kind of working uh, with the online stuff really since 2016. Yeah. Um, I was doing it a long time before that with, um, like, for my gym and stuff. But personally, yeah. Uh, that's when I kind of got set up. So I was in quite a good place when this all kicked off. Yeah. Um, and I was quite able to help a few instructors as well, which is really, really nice. Fantastic. Um, but yeah, it's definitely interesting times. Definitely, yeah. Unprecedented, we could say. Um. Let's start with then with how you began. So obviously you're most well known for doing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, um, yeah. European Nogi champion, world champion as well, I think, Polaris commentator. Um, how did it all begin for you? Did you start with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Did you try other no. things? Did you? Oh, okay. So I'll take you on my, my martial arts journey, which is kind yes, of please, long then. and quite convoluted. So I originally, I actually started Judo when I was uh, probably around about 10 or 11. Um, I was quite a, an angry kid. I was always fighting with my brother and whatnot. <laughs> um, so my parents took me to the judo class, uh, and I was pretty good at it actually. I did okay. I think I ended up getting up to like an orange or a green belt. I trained for about two years, and then um, for whatever reason they could no longer take me, so I kind of fell out of martial arts. Yeah. When I was about 15, 14, 15, I saw my first Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee movie. Right. And I was like, wow, this is cool. <laughs> I want to be Bruce Lee. And so I tried to like training and like. Uh, I was doing what you know, kind of whatever I could, and then a few years later, I started Laogar and okay. yeah. wow. Thai boxing at the same time, and okay. that was like ninety-seven. Something That's an interesting like that. mix. Yeah, well, it was kind of I, I got I got the Tao Jeet Kune Do, and I okay. was like, oh, you just train everything, and then you put yeah, it all together, and it'll be fine. Yeah, yeah it'll absolutely <laughs> be fine. So, um, yeah, I read that, and then I just started looking, and there was um, in my area that, that were kind of the options really you know there wasn't there was still some judo and stuff but i'd done that before and i thought you know I'll, I'll, I'll work on the kind of striking side of things so i did that for probably about a year year and a half um never graded or anything in them particularly i wasn't really that interested in doing it and i didn't really compete at kickboxing or tie boxing at that point um and then when i went to university i went to university down in plymouth and one of the reasons that i chose i chose it for kind of two i'll go three reasons number one they accepted me uh, <laughs> number two, uh, that was very, very important at the time. Number two, there was um, a lot of surfing down there as well. I was okay. into surfing. Um, and then number three, they had a JKD club down there. Um, and that was run by Anton St. James. Yep. Um, and that's also where I met Matt Chapman and, and James yep. Evans um, and those guys. So I went down there and basically I, my, in my first year of university, I didn't really train, and it was because my halls were like two miles away from the university. Right. So I really couldn't do a lot then. And yeah. in my second year, or towards the end of my my first year, I actually started to get into training. I made a little bit more of a commitment to do it. 
and I ended up uh, moving about five minutes down the road from where they were training. So I spent a lot of time doing that, and we were learning like, you know, Screamer, basic JKD stuff, some of the Wing Chun stuff, Bruce Lee stuff, pretty much everything. Yeah, <laughs> Anton was very, very open in terms of, um, you know, what what he would uh, what he would show us and what we'd be working on. You know, the things that we'd go through, and we did like lots of different areas. Um, and even around that time, like. Uh, Matt and James were quite heavily into like the MMA side of things. It was kind of very, very early MMA days in the UK. Um, so there were like a couple of shows. Uh, James had just fought on something. What was it called? I can't remember the name of it, but you're allowed to kick. So it was like uh, you could do all the like takedowns and wrestling and jiu sure. and all that kind of stuff, but you're only allowed to kick when you were standing. So it was like bit, so yeah. no punching. No punching at all when you were standing. It was a very, okay. very, very weird kind yeah. of rule set. Yeah. I think it was called like Iron Man or something like that. I don't remember. Okay, cool. But anyway, they were doing all of this kind of stuff. Um, he had James ended up fighting um, uh, Mark Weir, who was kind of yep. a big name at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we did the, the the club that I was part of decided to run uh, a Valetudo competition down in Plymouth. It was okay. called the Open Valetudo Trials or something like that. Yeah. And it was like proper old school. So they wore bag mitts when they were standing up. And then when they hit the ground, they came off Rich and then like open palm yeah. strikes. Yeah. So it was kind of like this weird mix, and then he had this pause on the ground. <laughs> um, so there was all that kind of going on. So it was very, I guess, quite progressive in terms of sure. um, uh, like what was going on within the martial arts world. Yeah. Um, and so I, I trained there. I, I trained for a good couple of years, uh, but I found that I was much better at like the ground side of things than I was at stand up. Do you think that was just your stature, your personality, what you what your interest was? I think it was my personality as much as anything else. Yeah. Um, I'd always been like kind of, I, as I said, I, I went to judo first because I was a little bit of a, uh, you know, terror. Um, <laughs> and I was always like wrestling, wrestling and ruffling and tumbling and stuff like that. And I just found that I was actually, I, I found it easier for me like to get into that and start, you know, utilizing the techniques. And I found I was quite naturally quite good at it as well. Like I'm quite athletic. Yeah. Um, so it kind of fit into, I guess, my personality, but also, you know, I could use athleticism as well. Perfect. So then I, I kind of, at that time as well, I ended up starting teaching at the club. So I was doing a lot of the teaching and the coaching and stuff. Yeah. Um, and I used to go on a lot of seminars with Eric Paulson. Yes, awesome. Um, like very, you know, Eric's great. You know, just yeah. just an absolute wealth of knowledge. Um, so I spent a lot of time like like going to his seminars and bringing it back and then working with the guys that I was teaching or just training with some of my friends who were competing at the time as well. Um, and then what happened first after that? I ended up doing my first MMA fight, I think in 2004, okay. um, yep. which was on Andy Barker's show. And I won in like 30 or 40 seconds or something by armbar. Really like, nice fight. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a very, very entertaining fight. Um, <laughs> the, uh, I, I, when I was warming up, I was warming up with one of my friends and I, I was practicing a leg kick and I leg kicked him and he had his phone in his pocket. So I kicked his phone <laughs> and bruised my foot and then I had to go out and fight, which was great <laughs> yeah so i ended up just taking the guy to the ground and then arm barring him and it was all over very quickly in fact we had some guys coming up from plymouth and they missed the show because it was over so fast they got the wrong <laughs> done. time yeah it was like it was done and dusted sorry guys gotta be quicker yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> so then i went out to the us and i spent like a month out in the us training with eric yeah. um, and training at the Santo academy as well it was right when the Santo academy moved Incredible. Uh, yeah. It's like a long time location. It moved up uh, towards Marina del Rey. Is it Marina del Rey? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Venice Beach kind of area, Marina del Rey. It moved up there. So I was there in that kind of a weird transition. Yeah. Um, and Eric was just setting up his own gym somewhere else as well. Uh, and that was the same time he was training Ken Shamrock. 
Okay. So I, ended up, I ended up doing a lot of uh, sparring and training with Ken Shamrock, which is quite funny. And James Wilkes, who's now oh, become cool. How was that? Painful, very, very painful. Yeah, yeah. Um, obviously, Ken was quite a big dude. Um, comparative to me, in fact, James is quite a big dude. Everybody's a big dude. They're scary much. guys, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, we, uh, yeah, we used to go. The, the, my first introduction was me and another guy. I think it was a guy called Big Dave, who was one of Eric's students, and we were going to go sparring. And um, do you know who Vernon White was? You remember Vernon Tiger White? Uh, I've heard the name, I think, but yeah, yeah, he fought a lot in like Japan um, and a lot of King of the Cage stuff as well. Yeah, like, quite well known in that kind of circuit. Um, and Ken and him were sparring in the ring and like, the first thing that we saw was like Ken just like boxing away and cracked Vernon and knocked him down and like like literally to the canvas and me and Big Dave were there just like Jesus okay. what are we getting ourselves into right. your next Ken yeah and no, literally like Ken looks at him and goes are you alright and then Vernon's like half asleep and he's like <laughs> and he's like well get up then let's go again and he does it again and he does it like two or three times more and then Vernon's like crawling out of the ring <laughs> and then we're like okay we've got to go we've got to go spar Ken now <laughs> right, let's go yeah that so that sense. was my kind of introduction to sparring and eric's advice was like just run away just don't let <laughs> just run in circles yeah <laughs> yeah so well that's not really my attitude like the first thing i did was like okay, i'm gonna spar him you know why not and so I, I went out and i started like you know doing my thing yeah cracking with a right straight and i just remember it feel like a fake freight train had hit me in the head yeah like, yeah okay now i'm running so, <laughs> so it's like it was a very weird funny experience um but it kind of taught me a lot as well like you know there's a lot of uh you know eric used to have to drive maybe an hour and a half to two hours so we were training down in san diego part of the lines then yeah and we used to train uh, so we used to you know we'd get up really early in the morning and we'd drive from orange county down to san diego like right into the center of san diego i think it was and that's quite a way particularly if the traffic's bad and it was like a two-hour journey and so it kind of made my, it kind of warped my sense of what you do for training a little bit. Yeah. So I got used to traveling quite long distances to training, which is what, what happened when I started training with Braulio. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, when I was over there, I started, uh, uh, I asked Eric who I should be training with. Um, and he recommended Braulio Steamer, who became my coach after that. But it wasn't for probably around about two years after that, that I really connected with Braulio okay. because he was up in Birmingham. Yeah. And I was super busy like teaching and training and I was still fighting MMA and stuff like that. I ended up losing to a guy called Paul Bridges okay. by armbar and I was like, right, I really need to learn how to do this jujitsu stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I started making like a consistent effort to um uh to go and train with him and, 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 and spend more time. So I used to wake up in the mornings and then I'd drive, you know, drive for four hours, train for an hour and a half, come back to Plymouth for four hours back, and then I have to teach from like four thirty until nine. And I did that consistently for five years or so. Tough schedule. Yeah, it was rough. It was really, really rough. Um, but like having that experience with Eric, it kind of was like, well, he's the best guy in the UK. At that time, like 2006, there weren't that many, you know, very high level jujitsu people in the country. Yeah. You know, we'd had really, we'd had like the first three UK black belts, which was Jude, Mark Walder and um, Rick Young. That was kind of it. And there were a few like purple belts and stuff scattered around. Yeah. And so my choices were I could drive up to Bristol, which is like a two hour drive, two and a half hour drive, or I could do like three and a half and go and train with Braulio. And I was like, well, I might as well just go up to train yeah, with Braulio. Yeah. You know, like, it doesn't make any difference at this point. It's like yeah, another, it's another hour or whatever. Yeah. So um, that's kind of what I had to do, you know, and we didn't have all this online stuff where you could, you know, just yeah. watch videos and stuff. It was all DVDs and they were really hard to get hold of. And you used to have to pay import tax when you import them from Budo Video. <laughs> you know, and it was... <laughs> Old school. It was, it was it was a hassle you know yeah. um, 
but you know it, it was what we had to do back in the day you know? definitely yeah yeah perfect cool let's talk about your competing days then so obviously you said that you've competed in mma before you move yeah. more onto the jiu-jitsu um and the bjj from training with braulio um when did you then decide to compete was that just a follow-up um, from the MMA stuff, or did you just not yeah, like it literally, anymore? I was, I was always, so my last fight in MMA was like 2006, mm -hmm. um, and I always planned on going back to MMA, so okay. uh, I've, I've done a couple of other things as well, so I've got like, uh, I'm like a fifth degree black belt in kickboxing, okay. um, and I'm, you got two different uh, black belts in uh, a streamer as well, one under Capo de Separas and the other one under Anthony St. James. Yeah. So I was always like training and competing and I was doing like kickboxing and Thai boxing fights with the mindset of going back into MMA, MMA at some point. Yeah. Um, so it was very natural for me, like, you know, I, I, I got my blue belt and I was already competing pretty much as soon as I could. In comp there weren't very many competitions at the time. You know, I think the first one I did was like, uh, what did I do first? It was uh, Seni. They used to have the Gracie Invitational at Seni. Yeah. So I just literally walked up, had no idea on the rules, nothing. I just remember turning up, me up with Bradley. Bradley was like, Are you need to go fight? I was like, okay. okay. So I and I was asking, like, I had some of Bradley's guys were there, and I was like, what are the rules? How do I, how do I win this? And they were like, well, you what can go submit me. And it was like that very typical first competition experience, except I was jumping in a blue belt at the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so I ended up winning that, and then I did a couple of other competitions around, and I started competing. I found that the easiest way for me to get competition experience was to go internationally. Okay. So from a very, very early stage, I started competing, you know, around kind of Europe a lot of the time because there, there was, Seni uh, was a big competition and then there was the Northern Open, Southern Open, maybe the Bristol Open was at that point and the Hereford Open, but that was kind of it. There wasn't yeah. anything else. Yeah. So I started going to do like the ADCC trials. Uh, I represented England twice uh, under FILA. Um, because at the time the Olympics had really cut down the wrestling weights and FILA, who the um, governing body for the Olympic wrestling was trying to bolster up their programs. They were looking into like grappling, pancreation, sambo, beach wrestling, all kinds of other wow. stuff yeah. to keep their, their organization relevant. And they introduced yeah. grappling was one of the things. So I did two trials and I went out to Turkey and then went out to Switzerland, competed there. Competing. like anything that I could find that kind of interested me to compete and, and ideally avoid fighting the same people over and over again. Yeah, sure. You know, because I'm, as I said, I'm kind of a small guy and I was kind of at the forefront of jiu-jitsu. I very quickly progressed to being in the first wave of people doing jiu-jitsu or like competing yeah. quite regularly. So I would always fight the same guys over and over again. Yeah. Which yeah. kind of became tedious. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time traveling and competing and very consistently competed up until... I still very consistently compete now even. Yeah. <laughs> and it became part of just what I do and a, a very nice way for me to develop and train because I didn't always have access to, you know, a lot of training levels, high level training partners or a coach. Yeah. I could go out, compete, see what worked, see what didn't and progress from there. That's it, cool. Are there any standout kind of competitions or standout matches that really, um, yeah, will stand out and highlight in your career, I suppose? Um, I think- For good or bad reasons. <laughs> Yeah, there's one in 2007, I think in 2007, uh, I got invited to the ADCC trials in Finland. I flew over to Finland to Turkau, um, crazy journey, like you fly into, I think this is Helsinki, the capital, then you have to get this little turbo, like twin prop plane into like the middle of nowhere to go to this wow, okay. city called Turkau. And uh, I went <laughs> over there, flew over there, I was one of like, I think either 16 or 32 people to be invited. And I met this German guy and he heel hooked me in about 30 seconds. And that was it. 
and I yeah. trained super hard and I was like, man, this sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it really like, it was a really stands out in my mind yeah. about like how, you know, you can put all this effort and sometimes you just, you guys better than you. Yeah. Are. Yeah. It's, it's just, just yeah. you know, and I remember I was in Finland and this was like back in the day before three did roaming and all that kind of stuff. I remember phoning up Bradley and Bradley was like, Bro, like I lost my first five major competitions. Like first round, I was like, okay, yeah, it's everybody loses, it's fine. Yeah. So that one really kind of sticks out in my mind. Okay. It's been quite a learning lesson. Yeah. And then another one is um, in 2015, the last time I won Worlds. So I won Nogi Worlds 2013, 14, 15. Sure. In 2015, uh, I had a really crazy year. Um, like I, I broke up with a long-term in 2014 in 2014 I broke up with a long-term girlfriend my gym uh, I had one of my instructors leave and it took like the majority of my students or, uh, or the vast portion of my students with them wow. um, and so it was like this crazy up and down year like all over the place I was selling houses I was severing bank accounts um, and I was still trying to compete and, yeah. and do things in that time and you know I was, it was all over the place um, and so I went into the final uh, and it was I think it was in November or December and um, I had a really really tough run uh, I didn't feel great I hadn't trained as well as I could have done you know because of all this stuff going on sure. I, I managed to get through to the final I fought a guy called Fabio Passos in the final who's very very good um, and it was a very very close fight and I had, ended up winning uh, winning the fight I took his back like probably a minute left in the fight I took his back couldn't finish it and managed to escape but it was like after that fight there was this just this unbelievable kind of sense of I don't know how to describe it, whether it's relief or just yeah. like everything that kind of happened like it was crazy and I ended up going under the like I won and if you looked at me under the bleachers it looked like I just lost like I was just <laughs> an emotional wreck yeah. under those things so you know like that was one of the biggest uh in, in terms of the things that I remember it's one of the, the biggest moments that I remember and it like it was away from everybody it wasn't in front of the spotlight or anything like that sure. it was, it was, like it was personal and professional like, yeah it was just a crazy crazy experience to to have that kind of release I have no idea what just oh there's a fly on my camera <laughs> uh, yeah really really odd experience you know yeah definitely oh brilliant let's talk about receiving your black belt then because okay. the JJ black belt is a very um, a very well respected thing, especially um, especially comparatively maybe to other arts, which we'll maybe yeah. get into a little bit later on and see how controversial we can get without pissing too much. No, no, no it's fine. I'll be very controversial. It's all Excellent. I <laughs> but yeah, the BJJ one's still very high up and still very well respected. It is, yeah. And it, I, I mean, I think a lot of um, I'll, I'll talk about it a bit more. I'll talk about my my experience of getting it more. Not. So mine is kind of you. I got my black belt pretty quickly, and I, like I, I got my uh, so I started training with Bradley. I think the first time I ever trained with him was the end of 2005, start of 2006. Within okay. two sessions, I got my blue belt. Okay. Um, I got my purple belt 10 months after that. I got my brown belt two years after that. And then I got my black belt, I think, two years after that. So it took me less than around about five and a half years to get my black belt in total. So really, really fast. Yeah. Um, and I was competing. The thing is, I was competing all of that time. I was, you know, teaching all of that time. I was training all of that time. And I was winning competitions as well. So yeah. it was always like... It was kind of right for me to go through those things. Sure. Um, actually, when I got my black belt, I was uh, in a really, really bad way. I'd injured my back. Um, I was out of training for probably three or four months at that point. Wow. Um, no, it wasn't. It was probably actually no. It was probably within the first month. I was out in total for probably about four, about four or five months. But when I got my black belt, it was the end of 2011. I've been out for about a month, and I think it was like the strain of uh, I just done ADCCs. 
yeah. uh, you know, fought in Nogi Worlds. I've been flying around doing all kinds of different stuff. And it was just a strain of yeah. continual sitting, driving, traveling. You know, like when I was doing the ADCC, it was like once a week I was driving up to Bergen to train. So I do make that journey. It was it wrecked my body. Yeah. And I did that for like three months, I think. Um, so yeah, I got my black belt and like, I, I, you know, I had to do the speech and I couldn't roll with anybody. And it was a really weird experience getting it. Um, and then like I started competing as a black belt and I realized that it doesn't really change anything. And the thing about when you get a black belt, that it's kind of like the start of a journey. And that really was like that for me. Like I've now been a black belt longer than, so I've been a black belt nearly well nine years, at the end of this year. I've been longer than I was in any of the like dark color belts com combined. And I've learned so much more than like vast, huge, huge amounts more than whenever I was a color belt. Yeah. You know, yeah. About jujitsu, about how to train, compete, like tons and tons of stuff. So it really is that first stepping stone towards it. Um, and you know, it was, it was a crazy, crazy, I think I was like Bradley's fifth black belt that he awarded or something along those lines. Wow. Um, you know, so it was, it was, it was crazy. You know, it was really, really crazy. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> but I never got a picture. I got this one blurry okay. picture at the end of it of me and me, Bradley, and a guy called one of Bradley's but it was called Lee Catling at the yeah. end. And it's like it, it's the worst picture. Because <laughs> like, it, so it, I, he he used to always do like belts at the end of the year, mm -hmm. um, and he'd have like a big gathering because he obviously had a lot of people all around the country, so he'd get everybody other do all the promotions. So I couldn't make that because I had my own thing on my own kind of gathering and whatnot. Okay. But he had at the time Zay, he was his instructor was over like a week before to do a seminar so i came up to that seminar and that's where he awarded me so it was kind of a little bit i kind of knew it was probably going to happen but it was a little bit out of uh, unexpected so no one was really recording it no one was taking photos or any of these kind of things so yeah it was a it was a, a weird experience cool you don't have to answer this question if you don't want to but do you hold your bjj black belt in more regard than you do your other black belts you said you got your fifth down kickboxing you've got your stream ones are all your black belts amazing or do you have like a, a hierarchy of the belts that you've got? No, I mean the amount of energy and time that I put into getting my black belt is more than any of the other belts. Okay. Yeah. And that's not to say that um, getting a black belt in the other arts is, uh, is, is, uh, isn't as valuable or anything like that. It just, if I'm punching you in the face, like I punch you in the face and it connects or it doesn't connect. You know, there's not a lot of skill or technique in terms of actually throwing a punch. Because there's no contact, there's no there's no connection with you, and at the moment I touch your face, it's un, like it's it's no longer connected, right? Yeah. With jujitsu, you have to deal with the how to understand how to manipulate people's bodies, like how to secure positions, the kind of like the finer details, and it just takes longer to do that. Sure. You know, in, if you think if you break, I think like if you break kickboxing down into like its fundamental um, core like techniques, you've got like a jab. A cross, which could be considered the same thing. A couple yeah. of hooks, a couple of uppercuts, overhand, a couple yeah. of body shots, you know. All these can take refinement, but actually learning the basic technique isn't that long. If you add in the kicks, you've got front kicks, round kicks, side kicks, yeah. hook kicks, and then spinning variations and jumping yeah. variations. The skill for kickboxing is like learning the timing, learning the distance and range. It's, but none of that relies on the other person particularly in the yeah. same way. So you can progress relatively quickly at kickboxing. With jiu-jitsu, you can't do that. You, you have to understand how the other person moves, how to control them. It's a very different art. So it, it will always take longer, or should always take longer, to get a black belt in jiu-jitsu. So the amount of energy and time it took me to get my black belt is just longer. And it 
because of that, because of that investment in time, I would say that, that that's why the black belt is put on the level of it, you know, uh, rather than it being more valuable or anything like that. I just invested yeah. so much more time. And now like, you know, I, I, I mean, I used to train a ton kickboxing. I was teaching kickboxing every evening, you know, I train multiple times a week. Um, but there's just not as much into it. There literally isn't. Even if you start including all the other striking, you know, talk about ghosts, but they're moving yeah, off. But this, there's still not a huge amount to it because there's no connection. There's no, you don't need to move the other person in the same way. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely. No, that's a really good answer. Yeah, I like it. Hopefully yeah. that, that also, the riddle of whether the jiu-jitsu black belt is, is more valuable or not. Because, yeah. I, I, you know, if you, if you yeah. took, they always, I think the, the thing when I was starting was, was like a BJJ blue belt is like a black belt in every other art. Yeah, that's what I've heard as well, yeah. Absolutely it is, because you've spent pretty much the same amount of time. Most people get kickboxing probably around about three years. You can get to a pretty decent standard in about three years if you're investing the same amount of time as jiu-jitsu. And you'd probably be, you know, a black belt in that. In jiu-jitsu, it's going to take you three years to get to the point to a blue belt or two, yeah. three years, you know. So, yes, it is the same, but that's not to say that, it's 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 better or worse in that way it just takes longer there's more to learn there's more to 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 do in jiu-jitsu than there isn't like other arts yeah definitely perfect um <laughs> you said then so you started the 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 bjj quite early on when it was first yeah. hitting kind of the uk market now it's arguably probably one of the biggest martial arts in the uk and the world um, yeah just in terms of the rise of popularity of it and things like that you've got massive academies coming up like Gracie, Barra, things like that. Mm -hmm. You've got online academies such as yourself. Um, what do you think to this? Is this a good thing for the martial arts? Is this a bad thing? Is it dependent on who's instructing it? Um, have you seen a standard drop maybe in kind of the 10 years or, or more than that that you've been active in? No, I think generally the standards are a lot better. Like when I was a purple belt, if I was to fight purple belts nowadays, I'd get wrecked. You know, and okay. like legitimately, there's purple belts out there that will wreck me now. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I think it's with any with any art. Like jujitsu was so restricted at the start. Mm. You know, um, really, it came into people's minds. I would say '93 is probably the earliest that people really started thinking about Brazilian jujitsu with like yeah. the UFC, right? Yeah, that's um, 25, 30 years ago. I can't do the math. Right, yeah. like that, right? 27. Yeah. 27. Yeah. I'm gonna go with 27. Anyway. You know that, yeah. <laughs> if you look at karate, right? Karate's been in the UK for decades and decades more than that. Yeah. You know, kickboxing is the same thing. Okay, kickboxing is a relatively modern art. You'll be still talking like sport karate, which is around late 60s, early 70s. That's just a longer period of time. Yeah. Um, and you, you had just had more people doing it back there. It was easier for the information to get disseminated out. Yeah. You know, if you look at the, let's say you look at, let's say take Braulio, for example, right? Um, you know, I was one of the like first few crop of black belts. Now every year, it took Bradley a long time to get to those black belts. You know, his first one, I think, was like maybe a year before me, something like that. Now every year he's giving out more black belts to people. Yeah. And now they're going out and they're starting their own clubs. They're disseminating the information. Yeah. It's just much easier for that to happen. And so the quality of the information is. Uh, is, is out there, it's more readily available, it's a lot easier, people don't have to travel for four hours to go to a, yeah. a train, right? Because yeah. uh, very few people would do that. Yeah. Um, and so the standard's gone up. The other thing about jiu-jitsu is, for, the, for most people, it's a combative art. You know, very few people do jiu-jitsu and don't roll, even in the academy. Yeah. So you learn 
like you, you have to kind of be keeping kind of up with people of a similar sort of standard to yourself. You'll find like coach, you'll have these young, like 20 year olds of super athletic competitors trying to wreck everybody. You know, that like kind of middle-aged group who are just going there, but they still all try to wreck each other. And they're trying to keep up with each other. Then you've got the old guys who are all doing the same kind of thing. You know? yeah. So you get these individual clicks. So it forces it to, to kind of keep developing, keep alive, keep, you know, the standard relatively high. Mm-hmm. You know, if I go to a gym, you can kind of tell, or if like if one of my students goes to a gym, they're going to be able to tell if they're legitimate blue belts or not. Sure. And there's still, at the moment in jiu-jitsu, there's still that um, thing where they're like kind of weeding out fake black belts or fake purple belts. Yeah, or yeah. Brown belts. It still happens very, very regularly. Yeah. And it's even more so now because it gets, you know, popularized on social media and whatnot. Yeah. Do you think that's a good um, thing? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I agree. It keeps the art relatively pure. Um, yeah. It really does. And it's hard to say like I know people that have been given black belts because of just the time they've served a belt mm-hmm. you know um, and I have kind of a little bit mixed feelings on that it depends on the person as much as anything else I fully believe that everybody should be able to get a black belt but you you still have to be able to possess those skills and be able to apply them against someone who's had a similar experience and in a similar place of life as as yourself you know yeah. I think that's kind of the measuring stick um, so yeah, I think I, you know, I think it is a good thing in that sense. It keeps the art relatively pure or relatively, uh, you know, steering away from the kind of the McJo dojo element of it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, and that's probably one of the main criticisms of martial arts nowadays. To be honest with you, um, that the standards are dropping maybe just because organisations are getting bigger, martial arts are getting more popular, and so maybe the information filters down more and things are lost in translation or things are kind of passed down in a way that's different perhaps or not as pure as what yeah. it was thought of i think so one of my experiences in jiu-jitsu is um for me the way that i apply a technique is going to be slightly different to you to my wife my wife's a black girl as well to Bradley, to everybody because we're different sizes yeah and because i teach it or show it differently to someone that's like seven foot <laughs> it's it doesn't make it wrong it doesn't make it different that's the way they apply it yeah you know and it's about it's about creating an environment for the students that they can then learn their own way of applying that as well and making sure that okay if they're going to do an arm bar that it's you know the the key points are correct the way they apply it is correct the mechanics of the position are correct yeah the problem is when you lose that like i saw a, a classic video of this guy i think he's in india or something like that he's doing an arm bar but his like the arm isn't between the legs like it's right. off to the side and the guy's tapping and it's like that's just literally not real like <laughs> so, not like, even I a little bit of right there yeah it's not even a little bit of right sorry i've got a fly that just keeps in front of the camera trying to get it's not even a little bit of right you know you can have you can have your legs over one both over one side of the body you can have one leg close to the body and the other leg over the head leg off the head and then both legs doesn't matter but you still have to have the fulcrum which yeah. is your hips without that you got that's just wrong and i think it can be very difficult when you if you start to just look at the technique and say this is my only way of doing this technique but you have still have to provide the environment where people can learn their own way of doing the technique yeah yeah good yeah 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 perfect Um, i think what to go to a kind of slightly different point with the climate of currently everybody being online yeah is incredibly difficult to teach jujitsu online effectively yes um and i think for all martial arts that's the same the biggest problem that i see within martial arts is lack of sparring above all else 
because that is your truest test of whether you know a technique or whatever. Yeah. And it can be very isolated sparring. It can be, you know, full on you're doing everything. It can be light contact, but you have to be doing something to make sure that the technique that you're using is real and works against you. active and live, yeah. Yeah, because if you don't have that element, yeah. yeah, if you don't have that element, you're, you're, you know, you're just waving your arms in the air. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with, um, with a lot of martial arts and they don't include that for, you know, I hear people talk about insurance. I hear people talk about all kinds of different things. Like, you know, people won't train, they won't do this, they won't do that, you know, and really the sparring should be the most fun element. And it's about educating your students that it is a lot of fun to be able to do that, to work on a fully resistant uh, person, to train your students to be able to do it safely in an environment that is safe. Yeah. Um, and those are kind of the key things, and that's where a lot of martial arts get let down. And to get their progression up as well. You're going to progress yeah. so much quicker as well, aren't you? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, when you spar, you learn what works and what doesn't. Yeah. You know, um, I often see with jiu-jitsu, there's so many videos put up of people doing things that look so cool. <laughs> just because you can do it doesn't mean that you can actually do it in reality. Sure. Yeah. You know, it has to be pressure tested. It has to be put you know, against a live opponent to see if it's going to work and see if it's going to be, you know, beneficial or whatever, you know, I think that's where, that's where it goes wrong. Yeah. Excellent. Um, you said then that it's difficult to teach jiu-jitsu online, um, but you are doing it and you were probably one of the first ones. You've been doing it for a long time and people are yeah. just now maybe starting to wake up a little bit and think, oh, okay, online with the help of people like yourselves that are um, successful at doing it. Um, like people like Matt Chapman as well, you mentioned earlier, we had an interview with him a couple of days ago yeah. about moving business online and things. And I think people are waking up to it now, but there's still a lot of reluctance. Um, yeah, I think mentality. So there's, I think there's two parts to it. So if we're talking about, let's talk pre-corona and post-corona, right? Because okay. there's, a big, big, there's a big difference between the two. Yeah. Pre-corona, I could rely on showing, or I could assume that I was going to show a technique on video, then someone could go and practice it against a partner. Post-corona, I can't necessarily do that. So the way that I've had to start teaching people is almost making the assumption that they don't have a training partner to work with. And that changes what I'm capable or able to do in an online format. Yeah. previously I could put like I, 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 my brain the way that I structure technique is always through like systems right so we've got like this group's doing this and then they defend like this so I do this and that's how I always put things across sure. so people I find it the easiest way for yeah people to learn. logical yeah yeah which is great if you have a training partner you can practice it and you can spar it and you can do all those kind of things yeah to a certain extent you can still do that now if you even have like a training dummy um but you eventually we're going to get to the point that you can't like it, it, you can't go any further like jiu-jitsu is going to lose its realism if you're not able to spar with a training partner sure. and apply it in that pressure tested way which kind of goes back to what we we're saying before yeah sure so what i've in terms of the post-corona what i've started doing with my teaching um is talking more about like solo drilling and the benefits of the, that you get from solo drilling so it will never replace a a training partner but that doesn't mean that it can't support your, your training if you have a training partner or at least help you in times that you can't get to a training partner. Yeah. Um, so for in jiu-jitsu, solo drilling, it's much like shadow boxing or anything like that. It can be really good for your mobility. So you can develop like, you know, the ability to move your body, put it in funny places, bend in weird ways. It can be very good for your conditioning. Like if you do a hundred sprawls, you're going to be, you know, sweating profusely and Definitely, in a yeah. puddle of, of a mess, you know, <laughs> crying for air or whatever. Um, and you can also, to a certain extent, develop both technical and transitional skill in the movements. 
So for example, um, uh, from a very, like I've been, so because of my whole history of like traveling to Bradley and not having many training partners, I've been solo drilling kind of since 2007, probably even earlier than that in all honesty. Yeah. One of the drills I used to do a ton because it related directly to competition is I'd, th I'd shoot, so I'd do a double leg shot, yeah. I'd assume the person sprawled, then I'd sit out. Okay. okay. Yeah. And I used to drill that religiously over and over again because I'd always find that would be the situation. My double leg wasn't very good. Um, or it was, not that it wasn't very good, but it was like people could sprawl it and defend it. So I'd end up in the sprawl position, I had to clear my, clear my hips and get around to their back. So I drilled that over and over and over again, so it became instinctual. Yeah. And now if someone sprawls on me, I sit out very quickly, and I'm yeah. gone and it, and it works. I did most of that without having a live training partner. Sure. I was able to drill it to the point that it was comfortable, and then I could put it back into sparring and do the same thing again. So I could shoot on someone, I'd even let them sprawl on me so I could then work, sit out to go towards the back instead of the yeah. end. So you can work that transitional speed. And there's a lot of, there are a lot of solo drills that you can do um, to develop that kind of transitional speed as well. However, eventually you're always going to need to come back and start to put it into a real situation. You know, and if we don't have training partners, that's going to be a very big problem for people progressing forwards with live arts like jiu-jitsu, like judo, um, anything that relies on sparring. You know, boxing to a certain extent, okay, but you still need to get that feedback, that physical feedback from people. Definitely good. Okay, perfect. Um, what are your thoughts then on how Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or how martial arts maybe is just going to, do you think it's going to change? PC, so post-corona? <laughs> I honestly, um, I hope that we get out of lockdown as quickly as possible because my, you know, from a personal point, my business is crumbling around my eyes, you know, and it legitimately is, you know. Um, some people are doing great, we're doing okay, but you know, it, it eventually it's going to get to the point that we just, we don't, we can't afford to live. That's the reality yeah, of the situation, exactly. you know. Um, so we're going to need to come out of this at some point. Hopefully it's very, very soon and we can get back to training in some capacity. Yes. Um, because one of the things that I found, more than just the physical side of training with us, it's such a community-based thing as well. Like I, you know, I, have, I know people that their soul like group of friends or whatever is based around their gym yeah and now they're like in isolation they don't really know anybody else and they're just no. stuck doing kind of nothing Very difficult yeah crazy and so hopefully we can at least start getting to the gym in some kind of capacity yeah. maybe we have to create social distancing for a while where we're using more kind of solo drilling ideas or limited training partners yeah. or something along those lines but we can at least get that community side yeah. back and get people interacting because i know that's where people are going nuts. i think you've hit the nail on the head then i think it's one of the most important aspects especially at the moment yeah and it's you know it's very difficult you can do it to a certain extent online but it's very very difficult it's not the same feel though is it it's no it's, it's good for people at the moment because especially if they're stuck inside they want that just even if it's something like this or at least yeah. you're communicating with people aren't you if you live on your own it's like but yeah. at least you're seeing people you're getting a bit fitter maybe you're doing a workout you're doing your workouts aren't your workout the day is it yeah we're doing every morning things yeah. like that yeah so things like that i think it's really good just for people's mental health physical health everything yeah and i think if, if I, this is kind of my, my gut feeling is that's the way that's what's going to happen first for us anyway we're going to have to have this kind of staggered restart yeah. and then i hope that eventually we can get back to full-on training i suspect again it will still remain relatively small group classes for us with uh, ideally the same people kind of working yeah. together so you've got like maybe family or like yeah. three or four families that only train together and we put on classes for those people or out or whatever but that's their only interaction in the gym and then they go away but that's still the problem with that is it's still coming through myself and my wife the exactly, yeah. teaching for us 
Yeah. So if one of us gets it, we pass it on. But, you know, hopefully we're in a position that it's not so important now, you know. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people going online for martial arts academies is a fantastic thing. You know, it really is. If you can, if you can put your curriculum online, it helps your students. Yes. You know, if you can you know, even stream your classes for people that can't necessarily get there in a way, that's a great thing to be able to do for people. The biggest problem I think coming out of this is that all of this work that martial arts instructors are doing, they're going to stop doing. They're going to go, well, I don't need that anymore. And forget about yeah, it. That's it. You know, I've, I've spent all this time building this online platform. Ah, you know, maybe a month afterwards they continue it going. Yeah. But it very quickly kind of falls by the wayside. I remember talking to, uh, was, I spoke with Matt recently about this. Yeah. And we both said like, you know, it's fantastic that people are doing these things. But, you know, for me and for him, we've seen so many people start these projects and within two months, three months, they're just, they've gone yeah. and they're no longer there. And you need that consistency in, in you, know, pro, you know, producing content, putting up you know, instructions, whatever you're doing, you know, filming your classes. That needs to be done day in, day out if you want this to grow and kind of work from there. You know, from my personal perspective, you know, we've been very fortunate that we've had the online stuff, yeah. which has supported us while we can't necessarily earn an income from our academy or the income that we like you know a big portion of myself and my wife's income comes from seminars that was yeah. shut down you know i've got no more book for the rest of the year because i can't you know, we can't go out and do it so having that backup that online backup is super super important and it's allowed us to kind of at least sustain some income coming through you know yeah. um so hopefully instructors kind of keep that mentality on and they look at a way of incorporating online training methods within their gym it will help your students you know the amount of times that i've been able to go to a student and so at my gym we give people like you know we've started we're going to be giving people um, access to our online site for free because their members they're already paying us you know yeah they can have it uh and they've supported us as well through this yeah, sure. experience uh, but even before that i could pull out one of the videos if i taught someone i saw someone and then just send it off to them like this is what i was talking about now go train it go practice it you go work on it and develop that area so that becomes very very powerful for your students you know yeah. um so that's kind of what i'm hoping with the online stuff as well and people start to embrace it a little bit more um, but really i think for all martial arts we need to get back into the gyms in some way and as quickly as possible we do and hopefully it won't yeah. be too long but yeah okay thank you very very much tom um you I'm made pleasure. that really easy for me. That was great. <laughs> so, yeah, sorry, I can talk forever. Like it. <laughs> no, I love it. That was that was great. Is there anything else that you want to kind of add or um, um, you want to discuss? No, I think like honestly, people just you know, it's kind of a weird time out there online uh, in in Facebook land and you know, everywhere. There's so much information going out. Like, please do some research before you share a post. You know, there's so many crazy people out there, and like. A YouTube video isn't isn't a peer-reviewed article. Not the gospel here. Yeah. It's not the gospel. And please don't don't go by it. Try to you know number one, do your own research, <laughs> look into it, <laughs> and number two, like look to the the opinion of experts. People are out there actually like in the field doing what they're doing. Yeah. Um. You know, obviously the government and all those kind of things, and then make your best judgment. Like for myself and my wife, we shut our academy very very early on. Like yeah, we same. shut probably about a week, maybe even longer, maybe even a couple of weeks before the government recommended it. Yeah. Because for us, despite the, and it, and it has had a massive impact on us financially, it is the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, I could not, you know, go be, be in a position where we'd been, been the cause of someone getting infected and potentially dying. 
that, it can't happen. So you can't put those business side things against it. You know, I want to get back to training. I want to get back to teaching. I love it as quickly as possible. But think about those things and just try to be as sensible as you can and then put proper precautions or precautions back into what you're doing as well. Okay. Um, Thank you very much. One more thing. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, go, go, go. Yeah. Support each other. Like look out for each other, you know, do what you can to help each other out. You know, um, we're like, everybody in the world is in this together and yeah, you know, just look out for each other. Yeah, like be, be, be a good community for martial arts and the whole, but just in general, you know, if you, if you can do something, try and help them out. You know, so it's a simple, like for myself, if anybody's, you know, selling things online or doing like even posting up there, hit like, add a comment, you know, do whatever you want, post a meme that help. You'd be amazed at how much that can help, you know, because it, it shows, you know, the algorithm stuff that, that what you're doing is popular for people and it will help, you know, any small business out there. So support each other. Don't have that scarcity mindset. You know, that's really important. I love it. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Thank you very, very much, Tom. A pleasure as always. Hopefully Thanks, we'll yeah. all be back training very, very soon. I can come see you maybe get some training yeah. in. That'll be good. Absolutely. Um, and yeah. Okay. Take care of yourself and thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dan. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Cool.